Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, tonight, the book of Revelation, session 62, the rise of an evil generation. And uh, we're going to be kind of covering over a lot that we've, we've, been looked, uh, we've looked at in the past, uh, but we're going to be connecting several sessions together tonight. And if you're like, well, I wasn't here for those sessions, don't worry. You don't need to be. Uh, just pay attention tonight. You'll be just fine. But uh, for those of you who've been tracking with us, uh, you'll notice some themes that we're going to be uh, kind of uh, looking back over ever so briefly that we've covered in the series and then connecting them into this uh, uh, broader theme tonight that what's rising right now, we're actually in the midst of it now, is the rise of what will be defined as the most wicked generation that has ever lived uh, in human history. And that uh, the point of tonight is that it's a rise. It's a steady and a slow rise. And so we don't need to be thinking about... Uh, you know, now and then the end times. We need to be thinking about we're growing up into the end times. We're growing up into the wicked generation. We're growing up into the fullness of the church. We're growing up into the intensity of, uh, of the hour. We're growing up into the great uh, harvest that's coming. There's a lot of things that are on a scale, and we need to be uh, getting the revelation of where we're at in the timeline now, not thinking so much only of... Uh, the end times will start one day, and when they start, they'll be over in just a minute. We're actually on a, on a progressive journey uh, into the fullness of a lot of different things. Now, I think that Jesus gave us a, uh, uh, a, a, a brilliant picture of what's occurring that we're already in the middle of right now when he gave us the parable of the wheat and the tares. And so I just want to read that to us because the context of this passage is absolutely about the end times. But he describes the concept of growing. The weeds and the, uh, the wheat are growing, and it takes time for the growing. So let's just read it real quick. Matthew 13, top of the page here. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Let both grow together until the harvest. Collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but it's, it's both the, the, uh, the fullness of righteousness, the fullness of the church, the fullness of God's purpose comes in a seed form that then has to grow. But the exact same concept, the fullness of wickedness, the fullness of all that will be in, in wickedness in the last generation, it comes in a seed form and it grows. And the two of them grow up together. And Jesus is the one that says, actually, it's the purpose of my Father that these two things would grow together. And we've got to recognize, you don't pull in the harvest of the wheat until the wheat is at its absolute fullest point. The, the, the absolute you know, bulkiness of the crop, the ripeness of the crop. And this is Jesus who understands everything. So you just want to recognize when he says, bring in that harvest, we are recognizing it's not a week early or a year early or even a day early. That is the harvest point where it is ready. The wheat is now ready. It's at 100%. But so too are the weeds. The weeds are at 100%. And we don't really like to think about that, but this is the context that we're talking about when we're describing the rise of the most wicked generation. It's not uh, that it just occurs in a moment. It's a slow bake. It is, this, this bread is rising, and we're watching even now the wheat and the tares grow up together. So <clears throat> I gave you here a couple of verses that we've looked at before, but it kind of it'll get us in the mood for where we're headed tonight. Matthew 24, 10 through 13. Describing the rise of wickedness, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, At that time many will turn away from the faith. They will betray and hate each other. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Describing this increase of wickedness. But it won't be that way for everybody. Not the righteous. They'll be actually growing up into the fullness of righteousness. 
Look at this verse in uh, Philippians 2.15, describing the children of God standing. Remember, we just read Matthew 24, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Look at this now in Philippians 2. Now, this is uh, the Apostle Paul, and he's describing the church standing in the midst of that same context of Matthew 24, the increase of wickedness. He says it this way, that you would become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. That has always been partially true. It has never been more true, never been more in its fullest expression than in the final generation when the church will shine brightly in the midst of great darkness. I gave you another verse here on that church shining brightly. Uh, Daniel 12, 1 through 3. There will come a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Top of page 2 if you're in the notes. But at that time, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It's the exact idea that Paul was uh, alluding to in Philippians 2. It's the same concept. The wheat and the tares growing up together. The wheat being as wheat as wheat can be. And the weeds being very, very weedy. These two uh, kingdoms rising together. And, uh, and that there's a, a real battle and a real fight. The way that the Word of God describes the final generation, it would not be uh, inappropriate, it would not be out of place to call it the wicked generation because it will be a generation dis defined by wickedness. But just as we saw, not only, because it's also at the same time the time that the church will be the brightest. I wanted that as the context so that we can now jump into a little bit of new material the generation becoming completely evil. I want to focus on that word completely. And I'm going to give you a few verses here coming at that uh, concept from a few different directions. Uh, but I want us uh, to understand mostly from the book of Revelation, that we'll, we'll touch on a verse or two elsewhere. I want us to mostly be looking at the most wicked generation, a generation that is becoming completely evil, and look at what the Word of God says in the end time scriptures. Here we've got Daniel 8.23 a people becoming completely wicked. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue will arise. And one of the things I want to just point out is you want to be thinking of the rise of the Antichrist, the coming of the Antichrist, as a response to the kind of leader the planet wants. As opposed to... He comes and makes the planet bad. That's not what happens. It says this. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, when rebels have already become completely wicked, when humanity is already going, I mean, 100 miles an hour towards wickedness, then a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue will arise. It's a, a passage about the Antichrist coming. The Antichrist doesn't come and make the world bad. The Antichrist comes in almost, you could say, in response to the intercession of a wicked world wanting more wickedness. A world that is completely wicked. Completely unrepentant. We looked at that. We spent a whole session on that. Revelation 9.20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. They refuse. They are completely unrepentant. The concept of repentance is a gift from God. It is one of the most valuable gifts that God gives humanity because God promises to respond to humility and to repentance. But mankind as a whole, and again, as when I say as a whole, we're talking about all the wicked. It's at the same time the church is on the rise. The church is going to be operating according to righteousness. But mankind as a whole, apart from the church, is going to be completely unrepentant, unwilling. They will be in such deep darkness and completely unwilling to repent of that darkness. Completely unrepentant. Completely demonized. We spent a session on this. I'm just kind of wrapping up some of these uh, sessions that we've been looking at. We spent a session on demonology in Revelation. We spent a session on Satan and what he's doing. We spent a session on unrepentance. We're kind of putting all these things together. And we're describing when you've got one, two, three, four. You've got these things lined up. What is the equal sign for the generation? It is a rise of wickedness as at no time that we can even imagine, but certainly as at no time in human history. 
completely demonized. Revelation 9.20, the rest of mankind did not stop worshiping demons, items of, uh, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. They did not stop worshiping demons. When you've got all the generation that doesn't love the Lord, all the generation, I mean, you're talking about billions of people, and they're worshiping demons on purpose. It's not like they're worshiping demons through bad actions. That'll be the case too. That's like ground level issue. That's nothing by comparison to where things are going. It says the rest of mankind didn't stop worshiping demons. You want to just get a picture of this. You're talking about a generation that is completely demonized. It's so completely different from anything we've ever seen. Right now, our culture is not completely demonized. That is such an exaggeration. I am so not excited about what's happening in our culture right now. But it is not completely demonized, but it will be. It's heading that direction. You're talking about the rise of wickedness into its fullness, the weeds and the wheat growing up together into 100% fullness, and then the great harvest comes. Completely submitted to Satan. I'm going to talk about a generation that's going to rise into complete wickedness. There's a difference between worshiping demons and being demonized and following Satan like it's a good idea. I mean, there's a lot of people that have gotten... Uh, involved in all sorts of demonic activity, but they weren't saluting Satan and asking him what he wanted to do today. That's very different. But we're talking about a generation that's going to do that too. Let's look here at the word, uh, the word in Revelation uh, 13, verse 3 through 4, and then verse 8. The whole world, how much of the world? The whole world was filled with wonder. Oh, this sounds like a good thing. This must be a Jesus passage. And followed the beast. Oh, no. They're treating the Antichrist like the Psalms treat Jesus. The wonder of Jesus' love, the, the wonder of this man, the songs that we sing about Jesus, that's how the world is going to be treating the Antichrist. The world was filled with wonder, and they followed the beast, and people worshipped the dragon. That's Satan. They worshipped Satan because he'd given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast. Revelation 13, 8, the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. You're talking about an entire generation that's actually going to know Satan. That's really bad. Right now, whatever percentage of the craziest satanic cults there are that are like really hardcore Satan worshipers, for real, they actually worship Satan, that has got to be the smallest population of religious activity on the planet right now. I mean, it has to be the smallest group ever. You're talking about flip-flop that and it now becoming the majority. Satan worship as a normal part of life. Of course we're going to be living in the most wicked generation ever. You put all this stuff together, it's like, oh my gosh. That's, that's a long list of really bad stuff. You put all that together and you go, okay, well now I get it. It's going to be the most wicked generation I mean, they're going to be doing this and this and this and this. They're unrepentant. They're worshiping demons. They're fellowshipping with Satan. I mean, they're taking orders from Satan. They're, I mean, it's, this is horrendous. And yet, the wheat is growing up with the tares. I mean, we need to recognize the church is going to be in this all the way until the wheat and the weeds have both reached their fullness. The idea that the church is going to get out of this for that fullness point is wrong. We will absolutely be here. And we will be here in the midst of the rise of great wickedness. Let's talk about the spirit of the Antichrist. We touched on it in a previous session, maybe last week or the week before. I just want to give us the, the picture here. We'll start actually with the first John 4, 3 verse, just so we can kind of know the biblical foundation here. Middle of the page on page 3. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You've heard is coming. You've heard the spirit of the Antichrist is going to have a, a real place to play, a real role to play in the end time drama. The coming of the spirit of the Antichrist. But I want to back up just a little bit. We've been alluding to it. and By the time we get to the harlot Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18, I think we will have probably preached all of it already, and it'll just be review because at this point we have to keep referencing it for so many different reasons. But in Revelation 17 and 18, it describes 
a global system that actually sets things up for the Antichrist. It's a global system that's called the harlot Babylon or the, the harlot system. And it's a, a system that is going to be ruling the earth, causing the world to compromise. It's a spirit of compromise. It's a spirit of, of idol worship. It's a spirit of self-worship. It's got a lot of really negative stuff to it. So when we're talking about the rise of the spirit of the Antichrist, that doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes on the heels of the globe entering into already the spirit of the harlot Babylon and the spirit of the age and, and the spirit of, of, of self and all those things, a very compromising hour. So then rises the spirit of the Antichrist. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.4. I want to give you just a little bit of theology here on the spirit. And when you're talking spirits in this context, you're actually talking like, Receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Antichrist Spirit. You're actually talking about a spirit that can be received, okay? So it's not just like, you know, the uh, how, were, how was everybody last night? They were high-spirited. We're not talking about that kind of language of spirit. We're, we're describing actual spirits. And furthermore, we want to be looking at the Antichrist Spirit and for the sake of comparison so we can understand the Holy Spirit, all right? Look at what 2 Corinthians 11.4 says, Paul teaching the, the church at Corinth. He says, if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, and then he goes on to rebuke him and say, don't do that. But I just want to focus on that receiving a spirit different than the Holy Spirit. If you and your interactions of your, your theology and your understanding and people preaching to you, if you received a spirit and it in the Holy Spirit, that's bad. This is Paul describing the reality of receiving a spirit. Receiving a spirit in the same way that you would receive the Holy Spirit. Well, it's all a setup for the hour when the Antichrist will rule and reign and the Antichrist spirit, people will be receiving that spirit like you would receive the Holy Spirit. Look what it says here in uh, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You know, it says of the false prophet, and not only him, it says there will be many false prophets and many false Christs, and they will do signs and wonders. I just want to point to this verse about how it works in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, Acts 1.8 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Friends, it's going to be very similar in the kingdom of darkness. They will receive power when the Antichrist spirit comes upon them and they will be his witnesses. We are talking about an hour where the Antichrist spirit will be the predominant spirit people are trying to get. Do you hear me? An hour where people are being going, hey, did you get the spirit? Did you get the spirit? And they're not talking about the Holy Spirit. They're talking about the Antichrist spirit to be empowered, to be in the sway of the generation, to be going where the generation's going. You got to just think about how fish swimming against the current it's going to be to be a Christian here in a minute. I mean, swimming against the current, like trying as hard as you can, and the water is just rushing, a culture that is rushing towards embracing the Antichrist, a culture that is rushing towards evil. It's going to be a slow fade, though. It's a process. The whole world is going to go this direction. Again, I started with the church is going to be growing in righteousness. The wheat are also around. But let's also recognize that when you're talking percentages, you know, it's, it's not half and half. It's not half the church, half the wicked. It's going to be far worse than that. I mean, it's going to be probably more like, if you're talking about the, the 8 billion people on the planet right now, let's say we get to 10 billion you're going to be talking about maybe 2 billion are following Jesus. After the great harvest, after a giant you know, move of the Holy Spirit and revival, maybe there's 2 billion. I don't know the numbers. The other 8 billion are not on the good team. They're the ones running after these ideas. Okay, this is going to be a real problem. All right, let's move on. Now what I want to do is I want to kind of help us march through Revelation, the sins that are specifically identified. Now, we did a session just a few weeks back on the four primary sins, so I'm not going to really camp out much there. I'll just read them to you again. 
but it's uh, Revelation 9.21. They didn't repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And we don't have time to go into it again, but we spent a good bit of time developing the fact that those four sins show up over and over in Revelation and also in the other end time scriptures. So those are four big deals, murder, witchcraft, sexual immorality, and theft. Those are four sins that the book of Revelation really highlights and the end times really highlight. And it's one of those things that the Lord, he's showing the church. You remember the first line of the book of Revelation? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which Jesus was given to show his servants what must soon take place. John was given this revelation from Jesus to show the servants of Jesus how the things are going to play out in this generation. So when we see the, the continual identification and re-identification of these four sins in the book of Revelation and elsewhere, we want to be recognizing, oh, these are going to be like really big deal in the church, in culture, everywhere. All right. What about the letters, the sins that are listed in the letters, the first uh, couple of chapters of the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches? There's... Sins that are listed, and the reason that they're listed is that the church would take heed and not wind up down those paths. Uh, Hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. That's the, the commonly repeated line. The reason it's repeated over and over is because it's the desire of the Holy Spirit, it's the desire of God the Father and the Son, that the church would see ahead of times, this church, the church in 2021, would be paying attention and would be going, we need to be those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. We need to be paying attention and learning the lessons that were laid out for us in this book that's supposed to be a roadmap for how the church is to operate in this generation. We need to be paying attention. So what are those sins? I won't go into all of them. I'll just read them. Losing the greatest commandment. You've forsaken the love you had at first. The church being warned, don't lose the greatest commandment in the midst of all the trials and the difficulty. Giving over to false teaching. You know, we all like to think of ourselves as super smart and, uh, and unable to succumb to false teaching. We need to be warned. False teaching doesn't come across sounding completely crazy, especially if you're already giving in to areas of compromise. It sounds very appeasing, very appealing. It is something that sounds like a really good idea. And the church is warned, don't give in to false teaching. It will be abundant. Don't get off course. The Bible is true. If it contradicts the word of God, throw it out no matter who says it. No matter how cool they are or how many followers they have on their YouTube channel. It doesn't matter if it's against what the word says. We need to be rooting our lives, our doctrine, our lifestyle, the way we carry ourselves, our conversations, in what the word of God says, not in whatever teachings. It is easy right now, so easy, painfully easy, to be gregarious, have a lot of energy, really have uh, some clarity about a point or two, and to get a big following online. And the doctrine might be horrible, or it might be great, or it might be mediocre. It might not even be doctrine at all. It, might, it could be the cooking channel. I mean, it's like you can do anything right now and get a million followers. The time, we're in the generation that is going to experience the widest scale false teaching, and the church needs to be aware. Sexual immorality, we already covered it. Keep going on. The permitting of idol worship. Sounds crazy, but idol worship is going to be on the rise. Literal idol worship. Like, you mean like some other country, the way that like they've got idols? Yes, exactly like that. Revelation describes the rise of idol worship in the last generation to where it's a really big deal. And Christians looking at it and just permissing it. Just giving it permission to be like, I don't know, that's really weird, but whatever. Keep worshiping that little idol, I guess. It's fine. The, the warning is against permitting idol worship, not even the full embrace of it. Next, living under a false reputation. Oh, guys, I'll tell you what. I have to look at myself in the mirror a good bit on this one because I'm the director of a house of prayer, and I got to go, do you really have a prayer life, man? Don't have a reputation for it and it not be real. Do you really know Jesus like this? It's not okay. And Jesus is the one warning the church at the end of the age, don't be those that have the reputation Because you had it before or because you tricked everybody into thinking you had it before. 
Don't be those that have the reputation but not the reality. You get rooted and you have the reality. Don't, have, don't be okay with the reputation. The reputation is a lie to you. The reputation will produce falsehood all over. Don't just, let, uh, don't just be those with the reputation. So for those who begin to develop a reputation for whatever it is that you develop it, you want to be careful all the more careful before the Lord. Is it real? Is it true today? Is it reality in this season of my life? Don't have that false reputation. He warns. <clears throat> Next, spiritual passivity and not realizing it. The, the blindness to spiritual passivity. Going through the motions, <clears throat> but not having a vibrant heart. I'll tell you what is a great challenge to yourself that you want to carry all the days of your life. Do I have a vibrant heart in Jesus? You want to ask yourself that question all the time, and you want to, you want to like try to talk yourself out of a yes all the time. Try to talk yourself out of a yes, because if you can talk yourself out of it, you, you probably should have. You want to talk yourself out of, yeah, I got a vibrant heart. Why do you say that? Because I did before. Well, what does that mean about today? That doesn't mean anything. You've slept since then. Anything could have happened. This last season could have beat the snot out of you. Do you have a vibrant heart today? You want to ask yourself that question again and again because it's one of the sins that Jesus is rebuking. You don't rebuke something that isn't sin. Jesus is rebuking the churches in the book of Revelation and one of the primary areas, spiritual passivity, and they're not even aware that it's happening. Guys, our lives need to be about pursuing Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything else can be second. It cannot be first. Everything else takes a distant second. Our lives need to be about vibrancy in Jesus. All right, well, let's change gears. So first, we covered the four primary sins. Second, we covered the ones that are in the letters that Jesus wrote. But now let's look at God the Father. End of the book of Revelation, he says, wait, 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 I want my turn. He said, I want to make sure that I get to stick a list of sins in the book of Revelation that I want to warn everybody about. I want to warn the final generation about a list of sins as well. And look where it starts. Cowardice. Oh, no. Horrifying. Look what it says. <clears throat> but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Can you believe cowardice is how he starts the list? It in, the next things on there are, are, are murder and witchcraft. Cowardice. I'm telling you what, cowardice is going to be a significant issue to the church of the last days. Because the pressures to back down, the pressures to not say the name of Jesus, the pressures to dull down the message, to change to a different gospel, the pressures will be so high. And the Father steps in with such authority. He says, listen, I want to warn all of you because I love you. If you are cowardly in that generation, you're going to go to the lake of fire. You will not make it. You cannot be cowardly. The cowardly will go to the lake of fire. That's what it says. Oh my gosh. It's in the Bible. Someone please figure out a way to extract that verse. You can't. It's there. And it's the father trying to give all the tools necessary to the final generation to stand strong because we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That is not who we are. We have the living God inside of us. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got righteousness. We're wheat growing up into full wheat. That's who we are. He says, good. Stand strong on that point, even to the point of death, because the cowardly will not inherit the kingdom. Then Jesus, just a few verses later, the Father gives his final list. Jesus throws in a final list. Like, man, Jesus, you've gotten a lot of red letters in this book already. He throws in some more. Revelation 22, verse 15, describing outside of the kingdom of heaven. It says, outside are the dogs and those that practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Those who love and practice falsehood. This is a long list of sins that the book of Revelation is identifying. Can you catch that? 
when you're looking at it this way, you're talking about like 20 sins or something. I don't know, whatever the number is, 15. The, the book of Revelation is identifying and saying, watch out for this in the last generation. Watch out that this doesn't creep up in your own heart in the last generation. Watch out, watch out, watch out. All right, so why spend time looking at all this? Here's why. I believe we're going to be alive during the evil generation. I believe we're going to be alive during it. We're going to watch it rise. We're watching it rise now. I cannot believe the things that have become permissible, real, foundational, governmentally you know, enforced just in the short time I've been a Christian. I mean, I've only known the Lord like 20 years. It's like, I can't believe what I've watched happen. I can't believe what I've watched happen since we started studying Revelation and the end times, knowing it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. And then we're watching news reports and going, oh my gosh, that's exactly that. That's exactly that. Oh my gosh, we are in the generation. So why does it matter that we would pay attention to the sins? Because they were written for us. Directly. They, not just the church, not just the body of Christ forever, for us. They were specifically written for the generation that would need this information. Every generation previous has been benefited, but this generation has been written to. So what does that mean? Jesus help us is what that means. A culture that's devol devolving into archaic practices a culture that's embracing wickedness at every turn. We're raising children for that hour. Oh my gosh. I just look at Jesus and going, you know, woe to you if you're pregnant that hour. You know, when, when the Antichrist rises, I'm like, dang, it is an intense hour to be a mom or a dad. Raising kids and just looking at it going, I was so hoping your life was going to be simple. We were going to find ourselves a nice home in the suburbs, and you were going to be just fine. Man, you can do all you want. You can't hide them from what's coming. We're raising a generation that's going to be the face of Christianity standing against the Antichrist. It doesn't get any bigger than that. It doesn't get any wilder than that. It doesn't get any more important than that. We're raising kids their destiny is completely different than every other generation of kids that's ever lived. Because there's never been a generation that was the last one except the last one. And I believe that we're in that hour. These children, it's, it's important. It's important that they come to study the book of Revelation and hear me rant about crazy stuff studies. So that it's not totally foreign to them. They go, well, what's the Antichrist? Who's the Antichrist? And they can tell you. Well, what do we need to be looking out for? Well, I can't tell you everything, but there's a couple of sins in Revelation I can tell you we need to watch out for at age five. They're doing it around here. This is real. It's not cute. It's essential. This is the generation that needs it more than any time in human history. All right, second point. Why do we need to look at these things? Why do we need to understand that we're, we're rising up into the most wicked generation? Because the church is still going to be the church. However, the church is going to be challenged in some really intense ways. So the church is still going to be the church with the responsibility of, oh, you know, the Great Commission, <laughs> disciple all nations, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught, win the lost, heal the sick, raise the dead. You know, the Great Commission on the church, except that the church will be facing the most wild painful backlash, difficulties, culture, fish swimming against the current sort of a way. But the church still needs to be the church. We need to be thinking about these things. Not only are we going to be the church to each other, the church in expression, meaning we're going to be meeting together, we're going to be reading the word, we're going to be praying for each other, we're going to be prophesying over one another, the church ministering to each other, the church is also going to be ministering to the stream that it's going up against. The church is going to be ministering to the lost world that is really going to be hostile. We don't know hostility, friends. There are places in the world now that know a good bit of hostility when it comes to the church trying to be the church swimming against the current. Communist nations, 
Muslim-run nations. It's not okay to be a Christian nation. We know nothing of the pressures that are coming, but we're told it's going to get even crazier than that. The church needs to be readying, preparing for ministering in the midst of evil days. We need to be thinking about it. And the book of Revelation is trying to prepare us. Final point I'll just bring up and then we'll break up into discussion groups. Avoiding the promised pitfalls. That's part of the reason we're looking at it. You know why you got road signs? So you don't do nothing stupid up ahead. Curve ahead. Slow down, dummy. So you don't go 85 around that curve and wind up falling down the mountain. Signs tell us about what's coming up so that we can change our behavior. So that we can actually adjust. Let me tell you one of the signs that Jesus gave us. Not a sign of the time, but one of these signs that's supposed to be indicating our behavior and being careful. Luke 21, 34 through 36. We'll end with this. Be careful. If you're not careful, let me tell you what's going to happen to you in the last generation. Your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. That's what will happen if you're not careful. How do we be careful? This is going to come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Here's your solution. Be always on the watch and pray. Watch for what? Well, part of what we're watching for is that which has been prophesied will become. Part of what we're watching for is what the word of God has said. This is coming. This is coming. A generation will enter into fullness of wickedness. A generation will embrace these things, embrace false teaching, will lose its way, will turn away from the greatest commandment, will preach a different gospel, will believe. When we start to see these things, we're watching them, but you can't watch if you don't know the word. You can't watch. What are you watching for? You don't know nothing. It's like driving down the road and not knowing what the sign says. You're like, I can't read. S-T-O-P. wonder what that means. Here we go, fourth gear. I mean, it's like, that's not going to work. We've got to watch, but you can't watch if you're not paying attention to what the word says. We've got to know what it is that we're watching for. And then pray. Watch and pray. That's why this lifestyle makes so much sense. Listen, I know it's crazy to go to prayer meetings all the time and study the book of Revelation all the time. I know that's crazy. I also think it's the only thing that makes sense. When you're living in the generation the Lord's coming, whether that's 20 years, 30, or 50, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's all the same. It's a minute. We got one minute to get ready for the test. With one minute left, the only thing that makes sense is watch and pray. It's the only thing that makes sense. So, yes, it's crazy to go to prayer meetings all the time. Yes, I know. Been doing it for a good long minute. I am fully crazy. I get it. Yes, it's crazy to talk about the end times all the time. It's also essential or the church will not stand. The wise ones who instruct many won't be born wise. They'll get that way going to Revelation Bible studies and spending time meditating on the word in prayer meetings. That's how the wise are going to get wise. Also, thank you, Jesus, that same process gets oil in your lamp and keeps you great at the greatest commandment. So the thing that prepares us for the end times also keeps us in the greatest commandment. It's a beautiful gift that the Lord has given. The house of prayer is a gift from the Lord to this generation to prepare us for what is coming. (laughs) All right. So the question is, how awesome will the ministry to the evil be in the final generation? It will be awesome. (laughs) Uh, you know, I think that uh, we want to be thinking of the greater works than these. We want to be thinking of the ministry of the two witnesses as a pattern of what believers will be doing. We want to look at all the times the Holy Spirit inside of us was leaping at examples in the scripture of Elijah being fed by ravens or, or them, you know, just wrapping up the, the cloak and popping the river and the river parts for them to walk across. We need to be looking at all of those moments and going, the church is going to be operating in power. And I just believe the healing anointing is going to be effortlessly flowing and so the, the lost, the saved, 
even the reprobate that have taken the mark of the beast, I mean, we could still lay hands on them and see them healed or healed at a word. I mean, how many times, just okay, be honest, how many times in your first read or two of the book of Acts, when you saw that it was possible for a shadow or a handkerchief to heal somebody, did your spirit just go, I want to do that? I mean, it's like, that was, God put that in you. <laughs> that wasn't the devil or your flesh. That was God that put that ache in your heart. And so I think we want to be understanding that the, the power of what we're doing right now at a level one, we're going to do at a level 10. Laying on of hands, prophesying, healing the sick, preaching and there being conviction, encouragement. Can you imagine the ministry of encouragement when all H-E double hockey sticks is broken loose and everybody is in such a bad way and everybody's mad and half martyred and running away from everything and facing demonized people all day long? The ministry of encouragement, I mean, to be able to actually say a word and impart life and encouragement to a brother or sister in the Lord is going to be the most sought-after thing in the body of Christ. And so we're going to be seeing powerful acts of the Holy Spirit. I just say it this way. When the wheat is full-grown wheat, we're all going to look and smell a lot more like Jesus. And so when we say, when we pray, when we minister, when we speak, there is going to be power that is, that is right and pure. What was that verse that we read? Make yourselves pure in a crooked generation, pure and blameless. There's going to be such a purity resting on the church that we're going to be able to really minister out of that purity, and it's going to be the most beautiful thing ever. I mean, we're going to see darkness flee at our words in a way that uh, right now we believe is possible, but we don't often see. I believe we'll see it regularly. Yeah, okay, so there's a long list of sins, whatever the number is, 10, 20, whatever the number is, that we, pu that we pulled uh, specifically out of Revelation. And the Holy Spirit... Put those in there on purpose for the end time church to be ultra aware of. Now, there's a lot of sins that aren't included in the book of Revelation. I mean, there's like a long, long list. It's kind of an endless list. I mean, pride wasn't in there, <laughs> you know, for instance. There's a long list. Why are these and what do we do with these? I think these are going to be the most anointed traps. Honestly, I think they're going to be the ones that have got the most unction on them. And it's not that... All the other sins are going to be powerless. It's just, I think these are the ones that the Lord knew. My church at the end of the age has got to be aware of these because these are going to have powerful lures attached to them. And it's going to be, by default, more likely that every believer will fall into all of them in the last generation because of how heightened they'll be because of the energy, the demonic energy that will be resting on those sins in order to lure the church into those things and to lull the church asleep. And so I think we look at them and we just go, I have got to guard myself against sexual immorality. I can't dabble. I just can't dabble. I can't even a little. I got to guard myself against the, you know, that issue of reputation and spiritual lethargy. Guys, I just want to tell you right now, I'm more concerned about spiritual lethargy in the Church of America than I am sexual immorality. Because a fiery hot believer will get out of sexual immorality real quick. But the issue of, of lethargy, just the, the status quo, the, the commonplaceness of, of the church being a building and, and not the body. You know, the, the commonplace idea of what do good Christians do? They go to church and I guess they try not to cuss. I mean, it's like, we, we, church Christians are supposed to be fiery hot, the bride of Jesus, like walking with him. So the, I think that those issues that are laid out in the book of Revelation, I think they're the hot mess traps set for the final generation, the church and the final generation. And, and they're the ones we want to look at and go, oh God. Help me be aware. Help me not think of myself more highly than I ought to think that I am above these things. Instead, help me to live a lifestyle that's guarded against these things. That's, and it's not a lifestyle set against those. It's a lifestyle set in pursuit of Jesus that 
that defends me and protects me from those, but don't dabble in those. So good question. Analogy. Okay, so let me start with that one because uh, you said it most recently. Um, okay, so, uh, so uh, if Jesus is using this analogy, the wheat and the tares are going to grow up, um, you know, what, uh, how does that equate to, uh, in agriculture, a wheat can't on day 92 convert to a tear? You know, it's not like it can just convert over. Well, Jesus was actually, you know, when parables are being told, they're always imperfect because they're a story, they're a, they're a parable, they're a picture, they're not a perfect alignment. And so actually this is a great teaching moment because any parable Jesus told, you could pick apart and find fault. Well, that's not a perfect analogy. Okay, but what was the heart of the analogy? Jesus was making a parable about the heart of the analogy, not every little nuance trying to line up. And, well, what about this? Well, yeah, but if you really understand wheat, if you really, that wasn't the point of that. He's trying to give the message. There's two things that are going to be growing up in the final generation. And really, while he's, he was talking about people, more than people even, he was talking about the rise of wickedness and the rise of righteousness. Yes, people, but, but even more so, he's describing the fullness of these things at the end of the age. So, uh, so in that scenario, it's imperfect because there will be those that are walking down the road of weakness that will see the light and give themselves to Jesus. And uh, did I say wheat? Yeah, weedness. That are walking weedness and that will convert to, you know, to being wheat and vice versa, which is why Jesus gives all the, the warnings about be careful, the rise of wickedness. It's going to cause the love of most to grow cold. So, uh, so just on that point, it's just an imperfect analogy. Um, and then uh, what was the other one? I don't know, John. I, I think the dogs uh, in this, uh, you know, it, it may really surprise us that he's talking about physical dogs, that there might be some connection to physical dogs there. That might really be. I want to leave that room. But I also want to say that many times, in the uh, scriptures, dogs are referred to as like the mange, the, the scrounge, the, the ones that are just, uh, you know, picking up the extra pieces, the, uh, the, the impure, the, the bane of society. It's the dog that comes and grabs the meat right off the pot and runs away. This idea uh, typically of, of those that are, that are in a culture but are impure and with malintent. Uh, that's, a, that's a typical um, symbol that is used of dogs uh, in, in the world. So this idea that dogs are man's best friend is a very American idea. Um, how do we love and discern as the generation grows evil? Um, you know, if I, I think the simplest answer to that is we've got to start drawing the line where the Bible draws the line. Now, drawing the line doesn't be, mean being mean. It doesn't mean that because the Bible draws a line on be nice too. <laughs> the Bible draws a line on kindness and love and a generous spirit. So when I say draw the line, I don't mean if you cross this line, you're bad and I'm going to call you bad and post about how bad you are on social media. I don't mean that. What I do mean is we draw the line where the Bible draws the line and we don't allow ourselves to think or believe or agree with that which is in contradiction to what the Word of God says. So our friend is talking, and we love our friend. Man, do we love our friend. We've loved that friend since they were three years old. And they say something that is not in alignment with the Scripture. We cannot align with that because they're our friend. And the problem is, this is where the rubber's going to meet the road. Jesus was always about the human relationship dynamics related to falling away from Jesus. Because the primary issues of falling away are going to be friends and family, not famine. It's mostly, most people are going to fall away because that's what their crowd is doing. Most people are going to fall away, if they do, because that's what their family was doing. That's what their best friends were doing. That's what their church was doing. They were going in a direction. We have got to be a people who know what the word of God says, and we draw the line. And we say, no. I'm not mad at you. You're not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to post about you. But nor will I agree that what you are saying is good. I will not agree with you. I, I, I mean, we have got to get good at that. And I think if we can get good at that, and remember that even goes back to the cowardly thing that Jesus was talking, or that the Father pointed out, the Father pointed out in Revelation 22. 
the cowardly issue. We have got to be those that know what the Word of God says about pick an issue. But if you want to get uh, you know, revelation clarity on it, pick the issues, the sins that are uh, described in the book of Revelation, and find out what the Word says. If it's called sexual immorality in the Bible, we can't agree with it in our culture. If it's called, you know, whatever, cowardice, you know, if it's called this, if it's called that in the word, then we also have to be a people of that. So I think that's how we discern how we love. We've got to start treating people that are annoying us, that are being mean to us, that even might be beating us as people that need Jesus, as people that need truth as people that need love, as people who were created in God's image, even if they're going to go to hell with that image. These are people. So we need to not be fighting a battle against flesh and blood. We got to start looking at people doing stupid stuff and go, what demon made you stupid today? Instead of, you sure are a stupid. See, we got to stop judging the flesh. Because we don't fight a battle against the flesh. The enemy wins when he can get us pointing fingers at each other. Because Paul told us, you're pointing a finger at a demon, not a human. You don't fight a battle against flesh and blood. So we've got to start having compassion and, and start figuring out. I'll just tell you this. You would be good to rehearse how you're going to respond when the person ticks you off. You would be good to rehearse it in the mirror. Because you know the person's going to tick you off. That's what things. That's what happens. Think people tick you off. You need to be rehearsing when somebody says this. When somebody does this, how do I guard my facial expressions? How do I guard my body language? How do I guard my tone, my volume, my response? And I think that that's really where that's where it's how we love. Love is a a muscle we work. Worship team, you can come on up. Love is a muscle that we work. And so we got to start working that muscle. And I'll tell you what, in all honesty, the people that bug you now, that irritate you now, that steal from you now, that do whatever to you now, is a great training ground for you. Don't waste the trial. Because if you find yourself in a level 10 trial and you've only failed tests at level 1 and level 2, fail, fail, fail. What makes you think you're going to do good at level 10? You want to start looking at level one opportunities and go, man, that person just really ticked me off. How do I love them on purpose, overtly, over the top? Just begging brownies. I'm telling you, brownies is a solution to a lot of things in life, friend. And it's pretty cheap. It's a cheap solution to a lot of problems. You bake somebody brownies that just made you so mad it frees up your heart. Plus, they're all happy. They're eating chocolates all over their face. So I just think we need to go on the journey of intentionally loving those that are causing us problems, and, uh, and that'll help us to be discerning and wise. This concludes this teaching from The Prayer Room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.